Hey, hey, podcast family, listen, this is not what I was supposed to be recording right now because our next thing up on the docket for recording is super interesting and I've learned a lot, honestly. I mean, just gathering the data, looking at this, um, as we prepared for that topic and as I put that on our Instagram page, which there's our plug, we are transitioning at some point eventually uh, from our Facebook uh, podcast page to Instagram. So find us on Instagram. But um, as we're gathering data for the, for the uterine rupture intrapartum in the unscarred uterus, okay, so no previous C-sections, no myomectomy, this is a big deal. Now, thankfully, it's rare and, and it doesn't happen a lot. But what's odd is that as Tolax, um, you now have, you know, so much supervision and so much monitoring. And, uh, you know, we have so many rules that govern TOLAC. The chance of rupture with a TOLAC is still there. But that percentage of overall uterine ruptures in department is going down. And now one that was kind of masked in those numbers, which was uterine rupture in the unscarred uterus, by default now is kind of coming up. Okay, so just FYI, there's some really fascinating pathophysiology there and some potential risks from the world of gynecology that could influence uterine rupture, even in an unscarred uterus, even in a prima gravida. So that's coming up. That is actually what I was supposed to be taping right now, but I bumped it. I'm st- I still have it. Trust me, it's coming. Uh, but <laughs> in that gathering phase, I'm, I'm kind of looking through data and I'm seeing what's out. And I get a ping uh, from something from that something that's coming out in the Gray Journal, that's the American Journal of OBGYN, in, in December. So, just as point of reference, we're taping this at the end of November. Actually, it's November the twenty third. Yes, it's Thanksgiving, but I am working. I'm waiting for somebody to deliver, and I've always, of course, I've always had my podcast stuff with me. And as I'm looking through data, I'm like, you've got to be kidding! This thing is coming out in December. Because uh, we just covered this in our immediate last episode. Now, here's what our immediate past episode was. It was optimizing postpartum hypertension, okay? Uh, And when we talked about a lot of stuff, like I went like 55 minutes and 55 seconds into that episode. uh, And and we covered a lot of stuff from medications and, and when to use MAG. Now, let's stop there for a minute because that is exactly what is coming out in December. Now, I've said this many times, a lot of the things that we put in our episodes and our podcasts are things coming out in print. Now, I knew that Baja had, had put this together, Vasibai, uh, et al., uh, and that this was in draft, but I didn't know it was coming out in December. All to say, our episode, which we released um, yesterday, is almost an exact blueprint of what this clinical opinion piece from the Gray Journal is going to be when it comes out in December. And I hadn't even read it. How about that? Now, what I'm trying to say is, in all humility, is that good data is it repeats. Good data should be verifiable. If we came up with an opinion in the episode, that's what uh, Sabai should have uh, come up with if he looks at the data. Uh, and, and, the, and we absolutely match. It's amazing. So here's what I want to say. Yes, the uterine rupture in the unscarred uterus is coming up. That's fascinating. I don't want to lose that. But I had to put this in here under the title of Perfect Timing uh, Mag for Postpartum Hypertension because we just covered that in the last episode. And I'm not going to do a full episode for this one, but I just want to pull out some, some highlights here 
from this clinical opinion coming out in December because it really is just uh, perfectly lined up with, with, with what we came up with as our own script based on the data for treating and optimizing postpartum hypertension. Now, this is absolutely, I'm telling you guys, a, a coincidence because I knew this was in draft, uh, but, but I hadn't seen all of it and I knew where it was going, not to, to actually realize that this is coming out in December. So all to say you guys got it first because it reads just like this clinical opinion from somebody who I greatly admire. And by the way, super nice guy. I mean, Baha Sabai, my goodness, just so approachable, so kind. And of course, here in our home state, just down the road in Houston. So this clinical opinion from the Gray Journal, which we're going to review just brief, just the highlights as a supplement to what we just released yesterday. Was it yesterday or two days ago? Anyway, within 48 hours in our last episode, because there's some some very important points there about should we start mag? Do we not start mag? What do we do? Uh, And it all has to do with like the title of this episode, perfect timing. It has to do with the timing of the hypertensive crisis and the patient's history where mag probably has most of the value. All right. So let's get into this clinical opinion called is magnesium sulfate therapy warranted in all cases of late postpartum severe hypertension? A suggested approach to a clinical conundrum. That's a big title, but that's exactly what we brought up on our episode. So let's get into this clinical opinion as a quick little recap before we officially launch our scheduled podcast, which is a uterine rupture uh, in the unscarred uterus. But let's do this one quickly first. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Well, I know you're probably not going to believe me, but this really is a coincidence. I mean, it's amazing. We, I spent, you know, guys, to put the data together for a podcast episode, unless it's just super sharp and I know 100% of the references in my head which is just never the case because I never want to speak incorrectly. I want to make sure that what I'm saying is, is correct from a national podcast. It, it takes time to get these things together. So that episode on postpartum hypertension, I mean, it, took, it takes hours, guys, to, to put this thing together, uh, cross-reference uh, all the data, make sure it's legit, make sure the study that we're referencing is, is, is of good quality. Um, sometimes it's the only study that we have, so we've got to use what we get. All to say, I did not know that this was coming out in December, this clinical opinion, but it's so freaky because it's like exactly what we came up with on our episode, and that's why this is not like a full-length episode. At least I don't think it's going to be. Maybe it will be, but I just want to highlight that issue on MAG, all right, because we already touched up. We talked about MAG in our episode, and when I read this, I was like, um, on, when I read the title that this was coming out in December, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I'm like, oh my God, I hope I didn't say anything that I'm going to have to retract because uh, Baha didn't agree with it. Uh, but no, it, we're on the absolutely the same track here. So I, I always I think I have my, my, my finger on the pulse of what's coming out somehow. And I knew this was in draft, but I, I didn't know it was coming out uh, in, what is it now, seven to eight days. Um, so this is really, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is a, a kind of a weird phenomenon coincidence. That's a coincidence. That's one hell of a coincidence, wouldn't you say? Coincidence? I did not. That's incredible. Well, honestly, as incredible as that sounds, it's true. It is a coincidence. So this clinical opinion from uh, Baha et al. 
uh, is, is right on the same line as what we we're talking about. So let me just set the stage here. We know what to do. The patient gets severe hypertension within the first 48 hours of delivery, right? That's you got to control the blood pressure and give the patient magnesium sulfate. That's a no brainer because when given within the first 48 hours in the traditional protocols, and that goes back to the MAGPI trial. Remember, that was the largest trial evaluating magnesium sulfate as prevention of eclamptic seizure. Uh, most of them showed efficacy within 48 hours. Plus, remember that the majority of seizure activity happens within the 48 hours. I already covered all of that in the immediate past episode. And that's exactly what uh, Baha says in his clinical opinion piece, all right? So the majority of issues is within the first 48. Eclamptic seizures absolutely can happen after the first 48 hours. I reference that in, in our draft and in our episode. It's just not the majority, all right? But, but if you think that this is something that cannot happen after the first two days, well, let's not be that naive. Of course it can. And then it starts to go down kind of, you know, kind of per day, although it can happen honestly up to the first seven days. The books say up until the first four to six weeks, although that's pretty darn rare. Okay, so that's the first thing we all agree that your highest risk historically of eclampsia seem to be within 24 to 48 hours of delivery because of fluid shifts, uh, lowered seizure threshold. And so we get that. And in our episode, the question that we raised was, when is magnesium necessary when the patient develops hypertension de novo postpartum? Now, and remember, in my episode, so if you haven't heard that, you got to go back and listen because this one won't make any sense. This is a supplement to what we just released, all right? But in, in my episode, we covered the data that those that get de novo hypertension, when they didn't have it during the pregnancy, they're sicker. Something else is going on. You got to listen to that episode. And, and Sabai says the exact same thing in this clinical opinion. And, and it makes a distinction here. So hypertension postpartum has a different set of risks from uh, when it's de novo compared to those who had gestational hypertension, even preeclampsia with the uh, last pregnancy, and they already had mag, okay? So if you already gave them magnesium in the uh, intrapartum and postpartum interval, that the efficacy on postpartum mag, especially if they're not severe, is unclear, all right? So, and we mentioned this in our episode, that even though there really isn't any level one data or even big cohort studies, the, the benefit of giving patients magnesium sulfate when they've previously received it uh, and they don't have any neurological symptoms, that's the big catch here, guys. That's the take-home message is what does a patient clinically look like? Is she stable? Does she have a terrible headache that won't go away? That's the catch. Because in general, if they've received magnesium sulfate intrapartum and in the postpartum period, those patients with high blood pressure probably do not need repeat magnesium sulfate um, because they're kind of they're just kind of having a reflex uh, uh, vasospasticity, but they're really not at any increased risk because you've already covered them with mag previously. Now, let me read you this excerpt from from the draft, and maybe it'll make more sense. So Bahasabai says, quote, some women who present with severe hypertension with or without neurological symptoms in the late postpartum period previously received intrapartum or postpartum mag sulfate. Yeah, we just said that. Okay, let's, he keeps on and says, quote, it is our opinion that such women do not need to repeat magnesium sulfate prophylaxis, but we acknowledge that given the lack of any evidence on this particular topic, MAG can be individualized based on symptom quality and severity. 
end quote. So, so did y'all get that? So we made that point in our episode, and it's the same point that's being made here, is we can't just cookie cutter that, oh, hypertension in the postpartum interval, everybody gets mag. Well, wait a minute, that's totally conservative and totally okay, but is it necessary? And that is unknown. In our episode, we referenced and we quoted uh, the statement that, hey, we have no data here, guys. We do everything out of kind of typical practice, but it's odd that sometimes typical practice is not evidence-based. And in this case, it's not evidence-based because we don't have that data. So here, Sabai says, look, whether they have symptoms or not, if they already received a mag, just treat their blood pressure, get that blood pressure down so they don't pop a vessel, but they probably don't need seizure prophylaxis. Now, I and I, and I, I appreciate that and I get that. My opinion is if, if their uh, headache hasn't gone away, th- th- they, the benefit there with mag is probably uh, justifiable. Okay, so, so and just, again, do that with, with what you will. But they do make the point here that, um, that those, even though we don't have a lot of data and studies to tell us what to do in the late postpartum period when the patient gets uh, hypertension, it, it is probably best reserved, quote, for those with persistent neurological symptoms who may be at highest risk of an eclamptic seizure, end quote. And so they go on to give this whole explanation of why, you know, bad kind of sucks. I mean, there is a risk of potential toxicity. It affects bonding. I mean, you have to be, uh, you have severe monitoring. Um, and so it's all risks versus benefits, risks versus benefit. And we alluded to that. We discussed all that in our episode. So what I'm trying to say is if you ever asked, hey, do we give everybody mag sulfate in the immediate postpartum period for severe hypertension? The key word there is immediate. Absolutely. They're at highest risk within the first 48 hours. What to do after the first 48 and definitely after seven days, there's no data. So it is fine to say we're going to standardize practice and everybody gets it until proven otherwise, although you can definitely use it for an abridged time, like 12 hours as opposed to 24 uh, or you can make the individualized plan that we're going to do this case by case and, and then really see uh, who is the highest risk of, of having neurological issues based on their symptom. And of course, the biggest symptom is persistent headache. All right. So all to say this uh, clinical opinion from Sabai et al. goes through ways to treat hypertension like the 20 milligrams of Lasix for five days that we covered in our episode. Like I said, we, we we're talking about we're on the same path here. We're, we're in two different lanes on the same road going the same direction. And I didn't even know that this uh, had completed its draft. So it is a nice review. Again, it's not a study. This is a clinical opinion of, of, of three great thought leaders, but it's not an ACOG stance. It's not SMFM stand. It's just a, a level C expert opinion of who should get mag in the late postpartum interval with severe hypertension. So everybody agrees you got to treat the pressure. That's a no-brainer. Do you need to give mag? Short answer is we have no data. Um, if you're really worried about it, you can with shared decision-making. Uh, just make sure that we don't over-treat because, again, mag is not completely benign. And especially those who have persistent symptoms, like whose headache doesn't go away despite analgesia, uh, those who have um, uh, clonus or, or hyperreactive reflexes, which I think is very subjective. Those are the things where you can make this an individualized plan. All to say, the big take-home message for this is we need data on what to do in the late postpartum interval with hypertension outside of treating the blood pressure, which we're all going to do. Do they need mag or not? We don't know. Is it safe to give it in conservative care? Absolutely. 
Uh, is it absolutely going to have benefit for everybody? No. Okay. And so this is, that's the take home message. Again, this is coming out in December in the gray journal. That's the AJOG, uh, Baja Sabai, along with Kristen, uh, Kagino and, uh, Malavika Prabhu. Okay. So those are the three authors. I only know personally, I only, only know Sabai, but all to say is a great review. It's six pages. It's a fast read. Or you can listen to our episode that we just did yesterday because it is exactly on the heels and exactly in line with these opinion, all right? So definitely give Mag in the first 48 hours, 48 hours to seven days individualized, although I think it's pretty safe to give. And after seven days, we have zero data uh, on, on what to do with that. Knowing, of course, it's not wrong to give it. Uh, just know that we're doing that really out of conservatism, out of traditional practice, which in this case is not evidence-based because the evidence just doesn't exist. Podcast family, before I leave and wrap this up, um, I, I want to read you the quote uh, in this clinical piece from December 2023, clinical opinion, because it's not my opinion that the data isn't there, right? Anybody can say, we don't have data. Well, we don't have data. But let me read you exact from this clinical opinion, and not just from my podcast, saying that we don't have data. <laughs> quote, there are no randomized trials case control studies or prospective observational studies that evaluate the benefits and risks of mag sulfate among women who present with severe hypertension beyond 48 hours after delivery. They go on to say, furthermore, eclampsia that occurs more than 48 hours after delivery is rare and constitutes only 16% of all cases of eclampsia, end quote. All right. Now, people have different percentages of what they quote for what, how much happened after the first 48 hours because it depends on how they report. So percentages are good, sound fancy, and we gave our own percentages in our episode. The truth is the majority, short answer is majority, whatever that means to you, happened in the first 48 hours. A minority happened with, between 48 and 7 and then rare after seven days, all right? So that's how you answer that. You're like, well, give me a number. Mm, I can give you a number, but another article is going to give you a different number because they vary based on criteria, uh, based on how they actually define the seizure. So uh, all to say, the majority happened within the first 48, um, then a minority happened between 48 and 7, and then rare after seven days if it's eclampsia-related. Now, they can have a seizure for another reason, like they have epilepsy, but that's not what we're talking about here. And the last quote from Sabai et al. Hold on, before I give you this last quote, and then we'll, and then we'll call it a wrap. Um, I just got to tell you, man, I've, I've given checkout to Sabai for patients that we've sent over before, uh, things that we don't have here I need to get done in Houston. Um, and he's just so gracious all the time. He's just such a great guy. He's just a great researcher, great physician, and just so humble. I know I've said it before, but if you're smart and, and kind of an ass, I mean, ew, at least you're smart. But if you're smart and just normal and personable and just human, uh, it's just that much more of a plus. And that's one thing I tell my residents and the medical students all the time is, man, look, you can know your stuff cold. At least you know that. Okay? And then people will overlook to some extent, you know, a crappy personality. But if you know your stuff and you're just an overall nice guy, approachable, realize we're all human, realize nobody's perfect, man, that just makes you normal. Uh, anyway, that's my little uh, shout out to, to Sabai. This is the last quote, and then we'll wrap it up. So according to this clinical opinion, remember, not ACOG dogma, clinical opinion, quote, for women who present with hypertension or preeclampsia with persistent neurological features beyond one week postpartum, 
So you got that? So that's a lot of criteria there. Hypertension or preeclampsia. Persistent neurological symptoms. Defined as a headache that doesn't go away typically after an hour, after an analgesic, uh, or other neurological findings like clonus. They go on to say, we suggest evaluating their neurological symptoms with the use of neuroimaging and prompt treatment of severe hypertension, but no magnesium sulfate for seizure prophylaxis, given that most cases of postpartum eclampsia occur by postpartum day six. So they missed it by a day, all right? So if you, hey, you're seven days postpartum, you should have seized already. The chance that you seize is there, but it's really small. And you have a higher chance of having a hemorrhagic stroke from your pressure if it's severe. So let's lower that slowly and we'll just watch you in-house rather than just reflexively giving you mag. Okay, so that is their clinical opinion, of course, in the setting of absent neurological signs or symptoms. I think it's super reasonable. It fits exactly into what we covered yesterday. Was it yesterday or two days ago? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, recently on our episode. So that's, the, that's pretty much the, the synopsis. That's the heart of the message here is beyond, even though we don't have any published data and this is their clinical opinion, it's reasonable to not give it after seven days if they're stable. They don't have persistent neurological symptoms. They don't have something else going on. And we can just lower their blood pressure and it should be okay because the chance of having an eclamptic seizure after day six is pretty small. All right, podcast family, I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving, or if you're listening to this a week after Thanksgiving, well, then your Thanksgiving already happened. I hope it was nice, but I am doing this on Thanksgiving because I am working today, waiting for Lady to uh, have a delivery with the residents, uh, and that's why, you know what, you got to love what you do. Uh, and thankful for my family who puts up with all of these sacrifices, times away, time away from the from the house and from the family to to do what I consider my calling. So uh, my family does not listen to this episode because they think I'm annoying uh, and my voice is just like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> and so I'm just telling you how it is. I don't think they listen. Plus, my wife knew some of the stuff I said about her in love and in jest. I think she would she would kill me. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I really hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this today, it's, uh, it's November the 23rd. I promise we will release our uterine rupture in the unscarred uterus coming out soon. All right, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode of Clinical Pearls. Uh, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our co- podcast community. And we'll see you on the next episode.